This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the live show of the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today we have another great guest here on the show. And uh, we're going to be talking all about how to pitch your idea, uh, how to pitch your product, how to pitch your service in order to get investors to get to back you, right? So we're going to be talking loads of different stuff about raising capital, raising investment. Uh, I've got uh, in the, uh, I'm going to be jumping on the, on today's call with a really good friend of mine. Uh, his name's called James Church. Now, James is the author of the best-selling book called Investable Entrepreneur. And he's also the COO, COO of Robert, uh, Robot Mascot, which is basically an agency that helps you guys that are interested in learning how to pitch not only your products and your service and your ideas about how to achieve amazing amounts of capital and investment. Also, um, James has also been uh, awarded. He was also uh, an award, a, won numerous awards, but one of the big awards he's won was Business Advisor of the Year, which was last year uh, in the Growing Business Awards. And he's also been featured in things like Forbes magazine. He's been featured in Entrepreneur magazine. And, you know, he's just an all-round great guy. Now, what we're going to be doing today in today's episode is we're going to be talking a little bit about the psychology of what investors are looking for, okay? So I feel like for you guys that are looking to raise capital or investment, do yourself a favor, make sure you've got a pen and paper handy because I know that James is going to be dropping some massive value bonds from today's episode. And do you know what? Even if you are out pitching right now, and you're out, uh, you know, you're out pitching and doing massive presentations. You're out, you know, pitching to investors already, and you're not getting the results that you're looking for right now. Hey, guess what? Sometimes it just takes a little bit of refinement. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of, you know, of an aha moment. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe you're doing a. a maybe you're making a mistake that then that they're not telling you, right? So James is going to really kind of help you guys to demystify some of the things that, you know, just to be able to make some improvements to your pitch presentations. We're going to be talking a little bit about, um, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about what investors are actually looking for. Um, what are the, also, <laughs> one thing that we're going to be also talking about is for you guys that are so wrapped up in your own products and ideas and services, right? Because you are the biggest fans, of course, of that, um, is that we're going to be talking a little bit about what is it that you are that you need specifically to really kind of get investors on your side so that they invest in you, if that makes sense. We can also talk a little bit about how to um, how to get more of a competitive edge in the marketplace as well. Depending on, you know, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Do me a favor. If you're listening to me live, use the hashtag live, use the hashtag replay. Um, I'm looking for today's conversation. We had um, just kind of give you a little bit of a, um, an eye opener as well. We're, I know that James had spent some, some great time with me, you know, prior to today's interview as well. Gave me some great value bombs because as you, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm also 
uh, raising investment as well. So, you know, I'm going to be learning a lot. I'm going to be a student myself today. So li li listen, really looking forward to today's conversation. Hope you are too. And uh, without further ado, Mr. James Church, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, well, thanks for having me here. What a brilliant introduction. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's it's uh, it's great to have you because I, I I know that you've done probably at least a million podcasts and speaking events <laughs> and whatever it is. But but listen, I, I'm excited about today's conversation. So and also I just wanted to say thank you so much for uh, spending a bit of time with me last time because uh, you know you know just sort of some of the value bombs that you dropped for me, I think they were very valuable. So I appreciate that. No, you're very welcome, and hopefully we can do the same today for your for your audience. Absolutely. So you guys, listen, if you are listening to me live, use the hashtag live, use the hashtag replay. If you're listening to the podcast, great, fantastic. We leave, we put all the show notes in the show description notes below and any links to James and his social media links and whatever it might be. Um, I believe also um, I, we've also put a little giveaway that James has uh, kindly put together. We'll, we put that in the show notes description as well. So um, if you've got any questions, because we love engagement, by the way. But if you've got any questions, use the uh, we're streaming over here on YouTube and on LinkedIn, of course. But if you have any questions, please, please don't be afraid to ask. OK, because I as, as, as I would always say, if you don't ask the question, the answer will always be no. OK, so I just want to kind of like tell you that. Right. Anyway, let's get straight into today because I'm excited. That's all I'm going to say is I'm excited. So investment. Right. I mean, you. <clears throat> You've got you. You run various accelerators for startup companies, don't you? You've been there. You've done that. You've probably you've raised investment before yourself. So you've really pretty much you you know you you've you've lived through this experience, right? You you know, and and I suppose the fundamentals really don't change from one thing to the next, do they? Really, from your experience, and I just want to kind of like start off. Have you um, from from your experience in itself? Has um, has things changed much over the like since you first got into raising investment and raising capital yourself and working with cl clients? Have the fundamentals really changed, and what what do you feel like the fundamentals really are? Yeah, I, I don't think the fundamentals have have changed. The the, the world has changed around us. Uh, technology's changed. The economy's changed. Um, it goes in it goes in loops. It goes in circles. So we've we've certainly seen. We've certainly seen sort of changes from that regard, but the principles for raising investment, though, they certainly, certainly haven't. But the last two years have definitely been a massive boom period. Um, I think I think I'm right in saying about $188 billion was invested across Europe wow. um, in the last few years. That's the equivalent of the almost the previous decade combined. So in the last two years, we've had a decade's worth of investment. So that's how mad it's been for us in, in our space. Huge amounts of money being being pumped into into startups that's changing um it hasn't changed um there's still huge sums of money at an early stage certainly we've seen a record-breaking year last year it's been going up for the last three years consecutively there is more investment being put into early stage businesses than ever before right now because of the current economic times and these things always happen as a bit of a pattern you, you tend to find there's a bit of a loop and we go through peaks and troughs of Investors are focusing on, focusing on early stage. Now they're investing in later stage and, and they don't seem to have an even keel. They seem to go in peaks and troughs and, and counter each other. So there are some moments in time that their focus is more on later stage. Other moments in time, it's, it's early stage. And now is very much early stage because we're in 
troubling economic times. The wider economy is looking a bit ropey, to say to say the least. And they're looking for investors are sort of turning their focus to resilient founders who mm. can build something over the next twelve to eighteen months that would really solve a meaningful problem that's a, perhaps a result of the current challenges we face and will be launching to market probably just as the economy is about to recover, just mm -hmm. as money's starting to kind of get pumped back into the economy again, they're going to be launching their product, as opposed mm -hmm. to a late company that's already in the market, has been living through these boom periods and is suddenly going, crap, we've got loads of people cancelling their subscriptions because everyone's <laughs> tightening their belts. So how do, we, how do we navigate that? How do we continue our growth curve? So they're kind mm -hmm. of looking at, invest in someone today they're going to build something awesome over the next 12 to 18 months sign up their early adopters and then they're going to be in a really good position to push on achieve scale just as the economy is starting to recover and more cash is available to to invest in in new projects and, and ideas so um that that's what we're seeing right now in terms of the micro um economics but but the fundamentals as you said that they, they they haven't changed there's that they no. they remain the same well that's good that's good news for you guys so that's um so <laughs> actually it's interesting you brought up um you know the the current economic times and stuff i, I suppose it's, it's interesting because I, I kind of like had a question around that because i know that you know being a startup myself as well I, I, you know uh raising capital before but being a startup myself i think that there is kind of like this self-perceptional um this self, maybe it's kind of like built into my uh, my mindset, or maybe it's built into other people's mindset. Where when the economy goes into you know into dire straits or whatever, it goes into turmoil or whatever it is, is that you know angels and venture capitalists that are tightening their belt, if such. Is there any truth behind that? Because I know that if if I go in with the mindset, if I'm pitching to investors and I go in with the mindset that hey, there's going to be less money around. OK, and because of the economic times or whatever it might be, um, then I've got less Then there's let there's less of a chance. That I'm actually going to become investable. Does, does that make yeah. sense? What's, yeah, your, what's your take on that? Yeah. So we've got to look at this from probably from an investor's perspective. And look, we're going to have to generalize here. There's hundreds, cool. thousands, billions of investors and they've all got different uh, different thesis and different approach to things. But sure. if you think about it. If I'm an investor, the job of the investor is to protect their wealth or, or in a VC's case, the, their client's wealth. Mm -hmm. At the moment, out, inflation is outstripping interest rates, even with the interest rate rises we've seen. So the money is no good sitting in a bank. Property, you think of other investment opportunities. We could invest into property. Property prices are thought to be falling, uh, certainly in, in the uh, later end of the market, perhaps first time buyer houses, perhaps there's still competition there. But generally speaking, property prices are, are decreasing or, or certainly not increasing. Um, and, and don't there seems to be reports that they, they, they're they not expecting them to over the next few years. So that's not a great place to go put your money right now. Um, <laughs> stock market, we could go look at the stock market. Let's put our money here. Well, super, super volatile right now. Recession, economic uncertainty, big established companies are having to completely rethink what they're doing to, to try and survive. So the stock market is super, super volatile. So that kind of only leaves you one other option. Um, 
major option. There's loads of different things you could do with your money, but one major <laughs> option, and that that would be to invest in startups and this and this startup ecosystem. And as I said, the the opportunity there is high risk and high reward. It always is. It always will be. Um, but when you look at kind of the volatility in the other markets, you could kind of look and go, well, if I back the right founder who's building the right product, like I said, they've got that 18 month period to go and build something and launch. So we're kind of we're, we're not expecting a return for five or so years. If I back the right horse, um, I'm going to get my returns through through that startup in, instead. So that, that's kind of the decision investors have got to take. Where are they going to put their money? Um, the other thing to say is that the VC funds right now have got a lot of what they call white powder. Um, and it's not the sort of white powder that you're talking about, you might think, <laughs> uh, but it, it's a load of cash in the, uh, in there available to them. So they've raised their funds, right? They're, they've raised their funds maybe two, one year, two years ago, and they've got, let's say, a hundred million pound fund that they need to deploy over the next X years and get it with a target 3X return for their clients. That money's still there. So they've got to invest that right now to get their clients the returns they promised. Um, what the VC funds are struggling to do is raise their next fund. So we're probably going to see a knock-on effect in maybe two years' time where some VCs have struggled to raise the funds now to deploy in a few years' time. Um, so there's there's lots of, lots of um, uh, reasons why investors are still investing. But you're right, the economic times does change the mindset. So the money's there, and that's why we're seeing an increased growth in, in early stage investment, because the money's there, but it's the mindset that's changed. So whereas two years ago, 18 months ago, it was very much a build it and they will come mentality had kind of been adopted amongst European investors, like this American kind of gung-ho approach of just like throw money at it, something will stick. Um, we love ideas. We'll just We'll just throw some money at it and hope for the best. And we saw huge amounts of investment as a result of that. We saw businesses being overvalued. We saw PE firms and hedge funds muscling in on the VC space and putting far too much money into early stage businesses, creating record number of unicorn billion dollar businesses in the process. And we had this massive boom, 188 billion invested uh, in the last couple of years. So that's now changed. The V, the the, the hedge funds, the PE firms, they've all gone, whoa, scary economic times. We're not going to play in this unknown startup space anymore. We're going to go back to our core strategies that we know work that see us through these recessions. And we're going to we're going to stop playing that game and we're going to just focus on our core strengths. So all of that money has gone, which doesn't matter probably for the most people reading, uh, listening to this, because they were investing in billion dollar deals, hundreds of millions. Uh, so we don't we don't need to worry about that money disappearing. Um, the VC funds are then taking the opportunity to say, right, we can reset the marketplace. We can stop this gung ho attitude that seems to have creeped in in the last couple of years. We're going to lower. We're going to get valuations back down to how they were in 2019, early 2020. We're going to start investing in deals the way we used to. We're not going to be forced by these hedge funds to follow on on stupid deals in stupid terms. So they're just looking to reset the narrative and take back control of, of what's happened as a the anomaly isn't now. The anomaly was the last couple of years. We're, we're kind of just seeing attitudes return to that of 2019. And at, at the time, 2019 was a record breaking year. We were celebrating $40 billion being invested across Europe. Everyone was like, this is incredible. This is insane. Two years on, everyone's going, only 40 billion? It was like 80 billion last year. What's going on? Like the last two years were just weird. And, and now we're just resetting back to, so there's loads of capital for the right founders 
who are raising the right amount for the right stage of their development and have the right things in place to, to convince an investor. So that that's kind of what's happening right now, really. Well, that's good. That's that's good to know. I, 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 I'm glad that that, give, that should give you some peace of mind, ladies and gents, for you guys that are listening, by the way. That should give you some peace of mind. So in conclusion to what James is saying, basically he's saying there's plenty of money out there. Trust there's me. loads of money. And look, last time there was a recession, uh, we saw um, 2008-2009 financial crash. During that and the immediate recession that followed, WhatsApp, Airbnb, Stripe, Instagram, um, many others got their first major rounds of funding. They didn't do too badly out of out of that recession as a startup. They built their product during a time of recession. They launched it into the market as money started flowing back, and now they're billion dollar businesses. So we saw fifty percent year on year growth in the amount of investment across angels and VCs in the years that followed the 2008 crash. And there's no reason to think that sort of trend won't happen um, again. Love it. Love it. Some good stuff. Uh, for you guys that are listening in to us live, by the way, if you do have any questions, feel free to use the uh, use the comments in the comment section box. And also for you guys that don't have any time to listen to the live video right now, you can re-listen to this. This will probably be in, a, in the next few weeks or so uh, over on Apple, Google, Spotify, or all your podcast platforms or whatever it is. So you can listen to it in the gym, in the car, picking up the kids, whatever it is, whatever floats your boat or traveling and commuting in or whatever it might be. So uh, some good stuff. Right, let's get into some more detailed stuff because I know that, um, you know, there was, a, there was a couple of things that I kind of have had on my mind here. And I want to kind of like share back with you. I think it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a couple of months ago. I think I shared this with you. I was raising, I was raising, uh, well, in my first real pitch presentation, shall we say, uh, for a while, and this is from a new startup company, and there were about, I think there were about three judges in the audience. And I noticed, I liked, to, what, I do, what I tend to do, James, is I like to sit back and I observe what everyone's doing. Right? So they sit back, they observe what you're doing, like in terms of like people that are pitching, right? And one of the things that really bug me and it, I don't want to it bugs me, but because I'm not distracted by what they're doing. But the behaviors of people that are presenting is that they're so they're so um, fixated on trying to perfect what they're actually saying in terms of the words, right? Rather than kind of like, you know, trying to make it more free flowing, you know, try to kind of rather than trying to get everything and just say it word for word, is they're so perfected on that. And if they can't do it, they become so stressed about it. So based on people mm -hmm. that are going through your accelerator and people that you, and, and from experience, what's the best way to, you know, kind of get presentable, should we say, or, yeah. or you know, getting into pitch mode? Yeah, this is equally a bugbear of mine. I mean, we're called Robot Mascot, but we don't want our clients sounding like robots when they pitch. <laughs> we, 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 want them, we want them to have... Your, the job of the pitch is to engage the investor. There's no other job. Um, you're not pitching for investment. You're actually pitching for them to invest their time, not to invest their yeah. money. You want them engaged enough that they want to ask you follow-up questions, arrange to meet with you to talk about the investment opportunity in more detail. The job is engagement with that initial 
presentation pitch. So right. what, what most founders do is they create a pitch and then they turn that into a script and then they just read through it and they stress themselves out trying to remember the script. They become unpersonal. They stand down looking at their feet, trying to remember things and, and not connecting with the, with the audience. So they, they need to, um, you need to create a few different pitches is the is the answer the, the the first is an investor pitch which is the most brochure-esque form of the pitch it's got all the information in there um, and that's the one you send and that gives you a basis of the content you want to share and then you need to create a presentation pitch now this presentation pitch should cut all of that content out and maybe just be a headline maybe just an image maybe a couple of bullet points and they're just one word bullet points and that does two things one it acts as a visual aid for the people that you're presenting in front of to follow you through the presentation but secondly, it acts as a cue for you, a point of order of like, these are the things I need to talk about. So ditch the script and just have those points on the slide and go, okay, this is my end destination. Over the next 30 seconds as I present this, I need to cover these three points and I can do it in my own way and I can do it in an engaging way. And I know my business inside out because I've written the business plan. I've done the forecasts. I've, I've produced the pitch materials. I know it enough to just have a chat. Um, and we get so hung up on, oh my God, we're presenting and I need to have this script to hand that you you kind of end up all, all stiff and, and unengaging and, and reading from a script. I mean, I saw one founder once that had music backing track that allowed them to keep on time with their, with their pitch and they had this music backing track and they were talking and it was like some sort of stage show. It's like, and it was just a rehearsed, overly rehearsed thing and, and, and we didn't get a sense of, the founder i didn't i didn't connect with the founder it was just a it was just a, a, a strange performance of a of a pitch so we we need we need to remember that we're, the job is to engage not to getting questions is good we don't need to go away from every pitch and go oh well you we asked this this and this so i better build that into my presentation and add that to my script it's like the fact they asked a question means that they're interested in what you had to say if they didn't ask a question then it means they don't want to invest in you they never will want to invest in you so the, the goal isn't to have such a polished pitch that no one has any questions at the end the goal is to intrigue enough that someone wants to ask a question yeah that's it's a good point actually the whole kind of like creating curiosity right because i feel like especially with a lot of people that want to raise investment is they want to try and cram in as much information as they can right but i guess what you're saying is that actually goes against the grain and that hurt you. Mm. Yeah. So the, the reason we so so in my book, I talk about the six principles of the perfect pitch. And the first two of them are in this phase of the process I call the preparation phase. And that's the business plan and the financial projections. Now, very few people say you need a business plan to raise investment, whereas I say it's a fundamental asset. Mm -hmm. that you um, and the reason for that is because that allows you to put all of the detail down. That allows you to get out of your system everything about the business that you want an investor to know, which then means when you come to your pitch, you're not treating your pitch as the business plan that houses all the information you think the investor needs to know. You can use that as a summary to engage an investor, knowing full well that if they've got any questions, one, you've already thought about it. So you can have a verbal response because you've already considered it in your business plan. And two, if they want further further information, you can refer them to the business plan. You can send it to them after the after the call, and you can you can then have a follow up conversation with them around the details in that plan. So it kind of does two jobs. One, it allows the investor to see that you're 
very you, you're you're a very polished entrepreneur. You've really thought about your process, strategic process. That you've 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 you're really taking this seriously, which is something very few people have have got one of these documents when they're raising investments. So it it makes you stand out. Um, and secondly, it allows you as a founder to feel more comfortable sharing that short, engaging summary and not trying to cram your pitch with all the detail because you're worried this is your only opportunity to get everything across. So for me, yeah. it's a fundamental part of getting to the winning pitch by kind of brain dumping, if you like, everything that you want to be saying into a business plan. Yeah, love that, love that, love that. That's, that's a good point, actually. And I actually, I absolutely agree with you on that. I, I, I do believe that if you're going for any investment and you're playing with other people's money, you need to prove, you know, you need to prove not only the concept, but, you know, it, it, if, even if you walk into a bank these days, and you ask, hey, so can I borrow a few grand? They're like, yeah, give me a business plan. They're like, I don't have one. Then yeah. I'll just laugh and say, well, come back when you've got one, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a fundamental part. There's two things there. One, one you have to earn the investor's trust. Um, you, you know, you're, you're about to take on the their cash, their capital, and you're promising that you're going to work towards delivering this return. And, and they know the risks involved, but you are, and, and this is how I'm going to spend it and why, and, and why you can trust me with your money. You're a custodian of their capital. If you're an angel investor, this is, this is their kid's inheritance that you're playing mm. with, right? So you've got to, they've got to be sure that they're, you know, they're giving this to someone they can trust to give this a good go and do the right things mm. with the capital. Um, mm. And the other thing is like, this is the, for most people, if you're raising 100,000 or more, um, 200,000, 1.5 million, this is the biggest deal you've probably ever done. <laughs> if you just one up with a pitch you spend half a day on and no more thought than that, do you really think you deserve that capital? Do you really think someone's going to give you that capital? This is the biggest deal you've ever done. What does it say about you if you haven't done everything you possibly can to prove to the investor that you're going to look after their capital in the, in, in the best possible way and you've got a clear plan of how you're going to deliver them that return? Like you wouldn't do that to even sell a, you know your product for a few grand you'd give them proposals and you'd give them time scales and you'd give them deliverables and but for some reason with investment and I don't know if this is because everyone everyone's only reference point or the only reference point for a lot of people is Dragon's Den or Shark Tank where it looks like you just turn up give a 30 second pitch and then people give <laughs> money. Um, it doesn't work like that you're asking for hundreds of thousands if not millions of pounds of someone else's money you need to do everything you can to prove you deserve it yeah I agree, hundred percent. Otherwise, it just come, kind of comes across as a, a lack of integrity, right? It's kind of like you want me to give you you want me to give me money. It's like, well, yeah, yeah come on, prove it, guys. Yeah, come it's on. A great idea. And that's why I say great ideas don't raise investment because it's not. Everyone thinks you've got this great idea, and people are going to see how awesome this is, and they're just going to give me millions. It's like it doesn't work like that. It's not no. your idea that's going to raise your investment. It's the communication of all of the things we just talked about. That are ultimately going to close the deal. So that's yeah, true. You've got to get that across. Love that. You know, it's interesting because um, that beautifully moves into um, a question that I kind of had. With because I know that a lot of startup founders, in particular, are so wrapped up in their own little bubble, you know, and they believe that you know their idea, their product or service or whatever it is that trying to raise investment for is like the best thing since sliced bread, um, and they're the biggest fans, right? So they're the biggest fans of that. So Mike, I guess my, my next question is, is how do you get investors from 
you know, because there are going to be, you know, a diverse, the diversity of different investors that are either experienced or, you know, recently new to the market. Um, what, how do you get investors to become your biggest fan, even though you're the biggest fan of your own startup or whatever it might be? How do you kind yeah. of get that switch? Yeah, so I talk about a, a sort of a five-act structure in, in, a, in a pitch. And, and ultimately, investors are looking for two things, right? They're looking for mm. an incredible concept. Of course they are. Um, but yeah. that's got to be in a sizable market that can earn, that has the potential for, for scale. Um, it can't just be an idea for something that has no potential for growth. Um, and they're looking for an incredible founder who can make that happen. And we sort of covered how, uh, how and why that's, that's the case. Um, so, so I've created this five-act structure that allows, takes a sort of a, st a stepping stone approach, if you like, kind of building the narrative, getting investors to, to see everything they need to see, to, to want to engage with you further. And remember that the goal is engagement of a pitch, not, not investment. Um, so the first sort of couple of acts are the, are the hook and the essence. Um, these are the first sort of chapters, if you like. Think of it as a play. It's an act in a, in a play. Um, the hook is that big vision that engages the investors like, wow, this sounds exciting. I want to know more. I want to keep listening. Then you've got the essence, which is essentially the value proposition, the really top level overview of the problem you're solving, the why it's so meaningful, the solution you're creating and the and the audience who are going to benefit from this. Right. Just a top level overview of your value proposition. And then you move into what I call the climax of the story, Act Three. And this is the bit that really gets the investors buy in. And this is the evidence this is where you really have to prove to the investor that this is beyond an idea. This is beyond um, your hopes and dreams. This is actually something the market wants and something the market needs. Or if you're already in the market and you're already generating some revenue from this concept, that it's something the market are adopting right now and that they're doing so in ever increasing rate. You're seeing some organic growth without investment. Um, and these two things, proving these two, two things by showing evidence and research and, and case studies and, and the results of MVPs and focus groups and surveys and all of these things sort of badging up a picture over a handful of slides to say, this, is, this isn't just a great idea. This is something the market wants. This is something the market needs. Really gets them to, if they were already emotionally brought, in, brought into this and they were like, this is an incredible vision. I see the problem every day. I know that's a big one to solve. I love your solution to solving that. This is the bit that makes them say, okay, it's not just me. It's not just you. Lots of people feel this way and this has a real good chance of success. Then you've got their emotional buy-in and that's backed up with logic and reasoning. And then you can move into the final couple of acts of the pitch, which is around the plan and the ask. Top level overview of your strategy, top level overview of your funding requirements, the idea there being that this speaks more to the logical side of the investor's head. We've already got their heart to buy into this. We now need their head to buy into this. And you're going, I am the founder who can make this happen. Here's my strategy. Here's my a top level overview of my strategy. Here's a top level overview of how much money I need, how I'm going to spend it and how rich we're going to be in the future. Um, and when uh, when an investor sees that, they go, right, this is a brilliant concept in a brilliant market. With some, I've got evidence here that it's something the market wants and needs, and I've got a founder with a strategic plan who understands how to make this happen. Tick all those boxes, come and talk to me, let's sit down for an hour or so, go through this in detail, and take the conversation from there. So, so it's Love taking it. that best from that journey through from emotion to logical so that they can then make that, that informed decision to take things further. You know, it's really interesting, and, and I think you've highlighted this already in the conversation for the last half an hour. 
is I, I feel like, especially when you go to uh, pitch on the big stages in front of, you know, um, in, you know, investors or whatever it might be, I feel like one of the big things, and again, maybe this kind of, again, it's down to mindset, is the fact that you're there to engage and get interest rather than asking for money. And I, and that to me, that to me is a, is a game changer in itself, because I feel like it, it's the same with anything. It's the same with uh, you wanted to seek out a business partner or if you wanted to um, take on a new client, the fundamentals are exactly the same. You need to build the trust, like you mentioned, right? You need to get the buy-ins from them and um, get them on your side. So, I love that. That's, a, that's, a, that's some really yeah. good stuff. That I like that. Most founders know these principles. They can sell their product or they've they've sold products in the past. They know they have to build trust with their audience. They need to give them these certain things for them to be able to make a decision, to want to make a decision, to feel like they're making the right choice between them and their competitors. Mm. And they have all of this stuff in their locker and they do it every day. But as soon as they go to raise investment, they turn into a cold call sales guy. And yeah. they just contact every investor and go, hey, you don't know me, you don't know my business, but I'm opening a round, I'm raising 250K, um, do you want to see my pitch? No, who are you and why, could I, why should I care? But that's what every founder does. They don't build a relationship, they don't try and engage the investor through their head and their heart. The basic principles of communication that run every sales and marketing campaign throughout history and have made every business that's successful successful go out of the window when a founder tries to raise investment for some reason um yeah. and, and that's really been my mission through the book i come from a marketing and a brand background and i saw okay. that phenomenon happening that it all goes out the window when someone tries to pitch so our, my mission has been to use those sales and marketing and advertising tactics through an investment campaign rather than looking at it as a purely financial transaction. And, and that's why we get the results we do for our clients is because it's a completely different take on, on the approach to raising investment. Love that. Love that. Now, as you're from a, a marketing and branding uh, background, now they, they talk a little bit. Now, obviously, as you when you're doing when you are pitch presentation uh, for investors and, you know, Sometimes you'll get five minutes. Sometimes you'll get 15 minutes. Durations vary depending on how many people are pitching, right? So my question to you then is, we've all kind of, I suppose, well, I know from my perspective, I was always taught about the importance of, you know, telling stories as well, like sharing your story about why you're doing what you're doing type of thing. Where does the whole kind of storytelling come into the pitch presentation? Because, you mentioned just a, about five minutes ago around the whole kind of emotional uh, buy-in, if you like. So I suppose that's where stories and metaphors comes in nicely. But in terms of the actual presentation and say you've only got like five or 10 minutes, you know, you don't want to give like the whole kind of like, you know, long ass story of <laughs> the whole history yeah. of where the idea or whatever it is. But where does the storytelling come yeah. in and, and, and how important is it? Yeah, that, I mean, that'll be in the hook and the essence part that I talked about, the first couple of acts, that initial when you're setting the scene, you're getting across the value proposition. So if you can weave in a personal story into that. So in your core investor pitch, it will be pure, it will be raw facts. X number of people suffer from this problem or, you know, you're trying to validate the, the size and the scale of the problem. But when you're presenting, you can have those stats on the screen. But what you say can be completely different. Um, and you could maybe just reference those those stats. Um, 
So especially if you've only got a few minutes, you kind of want this to be engaging enough that people want to talk to you uh, in more detail. So a good example of that is a client of ours called Plend. So Plend raised, they were originally asking for 400K pre-seed for their fintech platform. They ended up raising 700K. And at the end of last year, they closed a 40 million pound seed round as their, as their second round of funding. Now, wow. there's, they're, they're doing a, a crowd lending platform. So I could go on there and I could ask for a loan. And it's sourced by the crowd, not the banks. And they've created something called a Plend score. And the whole idea is that they lend to people who don't currently have a credit score, but are good people to lend to. They, they, they match good enough criteria that they're, they're trustworthy, they're good people to lend to, but, but they don't currently have a credit score. Maybe you've just moved to the UK, for example, so you haven't built up a profile. Um, now, he could talk about how many subprime people there are in the market and all of this stuff, but he doesn't. He talks about how he moved to the UK, having lived abroad for a while as a, as a younger, he's British, I think, but he's, he's moved to the UK, having lived abroad, and how when he came home, he wanted to buy a house and a car, and he'd had a job in Australia or wherever he was for, 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 for years, and he was a perfectly good person to lend to, but he couldn't because he just moved here. And then he realized that half the people in the office he worked with had exactly the same problem. And, <laughs> and it was more about his personal story as a young person trying to get on the housing ladder and or trying to buy a car and wanting some finance and was just stuck because he had nowhere to go. And it was talking about that from his perspective and that that founded the business. And then he realized there's millions of people just like him. There's a much more engaging way and a more memorable way. When people walk away from that pitch event, they remember this founder's story. They're not going to remember the fact figures, but they are going to remember there is loads of people just like Rob. Um, so it's, it's kind of using that kind of, you don't have to follow what's in the pitch. You can actually add in your own story in your own narrative and mm. almost show a bit of vulnerability sometimes can be good right you can you can engage Absolutely. people if you're really honest and, and and talking about your story and the, the troubles you'd had as a result mm. so anything like that or you know maybe it's a friend or colleagues or you've seen something in in the industry that you work in that you really want it you know you could see that you could solve and the impact it would have just find a way to humanize it and, and take it away from just these pure facts and figures i think love that some good stuff some good stuff now i know that we've really kind of been talking lots about pitch presentations which is kind of cool but we haven't really spoken so much about other ways in which you can raise investment i mean there are lots of different ways isn't there and i guess it depends on what you're what you're trying to raise money for but could you just give us maybe a, a quick overview about you know some of the some of the different ways in which we can invest uh so the different styles of equity investment or could be a different, or it could be, um, you know, for example, yes, we could pitch to angel investors or VCs, but there are other ways in which we can tap into different investments, isn't there? And, uh, um, you know, yeah, other well, different sources, should we say? Yeah, well, there's crowdfunding uh, is another option. If you've got a, a, an established community or, or a, a large network of people, you could you could go down the crowdfunding route and, and pool lots of people. So you'd normally have hundreds of investors investing anything from 10 quid to a few grand into your business and that collectively uh, collectively ends up a, a large total rather than two or three high net worth individuals. You've got venture capitalists, you've got, uh, which is a similar approach, you've got family offices which manage the money of um, high net worth families uh, and they 
choose they might have choose to invest in the stock market or into property or into startups or a mix of all of those things they manage that wealth and they they try and make that wealthy family wealthier so you've got all of these people that that you could approach for equity investment you've then got grants you could you could go and look at um not my area of specialty but there's loads of grants available um and it will depend on your location so it's best to go to your um, local enterprise partnership your local lep um, to see what grants might be available to you in your area because there'll be some regional ones as well as national ones you've got um what else have you got debt finance of course you can you can go and look at, at debt finance harder to do as a pre-seed that's why so many early stage non-revenue generating end up down the equity route because with debt you have to pay it back straight away you have to start those monthly payments straight away so you need to have some revenue in to to, to usually be able to secure that um there are other types of debt you can you know if you have pre-orders that are that, and a contract signs you could go and get some debt to go and build the to, to buy the stock you need to deliver the order but but generally speaking you need to have revenue to to get debt there are some startup loan uh, options as well which you would be personally liable for as a founder yeah but yeah loads of different options out there to get the funding you need um equity is the most popular because of the barriers to those other those sort of debt finances but um what would you uh, how i mean this is an interesting one how does one evaluate which which route or how they should raise capital or investment in the first place? Like, yeah. how, how does one evaluate that? Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the reality is any successful business is going to leverage all of these things okay. at the right time. So if there's grants available, that's essentially free money. Uh, so why wouldn't you go and get a grant if you can get a grant? But not everyone... You know, you have to have a very particular type of business that fits very particular criteria to get to get certain grants. Um, the debt will become an instrument for you to use. Certainly once you're revenue generating, there's no reason why you couldn't in your plans have certain debt finance. And again, this is very broad. It depends on your on your business. If you've got huge, if you're buying big capital assets that have an intrinsic value, it might be easier to get some debt than if you're buying some software that wouldn't. So if I'm getting a, a, a loan to go and buy a piece of machinery, and if I default on that loan, they can take that piece of machinery away, sell it and get back their debt, then they're much more likely to lend to you than if you say, well, actually, that debt is being used to pay for a team of developers to build this software that we don't know whether people actually want on yet or not, or are willing to pay for yet or not. Um, so it depends on your business as to which one of these is, is more viable. But as you grow and as you go through your journey, you're, you're probably going to leverage all of these sources of funding. If you if you have high scale ambition, you'll be using them all at some point. You're unlikely to bootstrap yourself, self-invest through the profits of the business mm. to multi-millions in revenue and, and valuation. You're, you're mm. probably going to need to use and leverage capital somewhere along the line, whether that be equity grants or debt being the, being the main three that would used love it very cool yeah it was interesting because i i, I just written down that, that you know some of our listeners that have raised capital for investment and you know they've done it done been to half a dozen or a dozen pitch presentations presented themselves and i've just come up with this i suppose i suppose a lot of people have to kiss a lot of frogs in order to get to their prince i'm assuming yes um <laughs> and so i guess uh, you know what advice do you have for the, you know the 
you know, the guys that are looking to raise this capital, you know, they've kissed a lot of frogs or they felt like they've kissed a lot of frogs. They haven't found their prince, if you, if you like. Um, but, and, and, you know, maybe their mindset has started to kind of, you're seeing cracks in their mindset. They're starting to kind of like reevaluate or kind of maybe the inner critics started to like nag at them or whatever it is. How, what sort of advice do you have for people in that, in that situation? Yeah. Well, firstly, you probably haven't kissed as n enough frogs. You probably have to kiss more. Even if you feel like you've got the chapstick on and your lips are really dry and you can't do any more snogging of frogs, you probably <laughs> have to do frogs more. Um, in my experience, when I talk to founders about this problem, we look at the numbers and they just haven't reached out to enough investors. So yeah. in my, I've got a very rough guide and it is very rough because it changes massively on a case-by-case -case basis. But I use a, yeah. something called a 30 10 2, one rule. So for every one investor that you want to invest, you would reach out to 30. Of those 30, 10 might invite you in to pitch or respond in some way. Um, of those 10 that you pitch to, two might end up going through due diligence and expressing some level of interest. And of those two, one will end up investing and one will drop out. Wow. Now, in my experience, you typically, for an angel round, you would end up with four or five investors on a, on a, uh, on a round. So you'd be looking at, what's that, 200, 230-ish um, investors that you would need to need to reach out to. Um, in some cases, it's thousands. So um, it's the scale of that outreach. Like I talk to a lot of founders and they go, I've reached out to 50 investors and I'm not getting much luck. And you sort of explain, work back, work the funnel, if you like, the marketing funnel back from one investor to how many I need to reach out to. And they realize, oh, I haven't kissed enough frogs. I need to go and kiss more frogs. Um, now, you can make those numbers better. Like those numbers are based on having a highly targeted campaign to your perfect type of investor. Um, so if we keep the analogy going and it's a dating analogy and we're, we're going out and we're, you know, it's like, you know what turns you on. You know what sort of person you want to date. You know what you like and what you don't like. And equally, you can find out what investor is going to um, be most interested in investing in your business. Have they invested in your sector before? Have they invested at businesses of a similar stage of development to yours? Because there's absolutely no point pitching my B2B SaaS enterprise tech to a healthcare investor. Equally, there's no point pitching my concept stage B2B enterprise SaaS business to uh, a B2B enterprise SaaS investor who only gets involved when you've hit a million of revenue and does kind of five million pound rounds because they're not going to be interested in my concept stage business. They're someone I need to pitch to three or four years from now. So we need to make sure we're having a target list of those investors. And, and that needs to be a target list. In my experience, you should aim to have at least 500 people on that target list, if not more. When we do this for clients, we reach out to between 1,000 and 1,200 of these targeted investors to try and get a deal over the line. So first is like kiss more frogs. Um, and then the second is, is we've already mentioned, I think, and that's build relationships with these investors. Don't go in with the hard, hard sell. So it's more, it should be more, uh, and you can start this now, even if you're thinking of raising investment in six months time, you can say, look, we're seeing huge growth and interest and appetite for this concept. We've already achieved X, Y, and Z. We're looking to launch around in about six months' time. When we're ready, is it worth us getting back in touch? Is this is this something you'd you'd like to hear more about when we're in a position to do so? You can start building that conversation and, and remind them why or tell them why you've contacted them. 
because you're just someone out of the blue in their inbox. You know, Adam, I've got in touch because I noticed you recently invested in company X, Y and Z. Um, we're doing something really interesting in a similar niche and we think you might like what we're doing. We're not launching around for another six months or so, but just wanted to get in your radar. So far, we've achieved X, Y and Z worth you know let us know if if you would you know if it's okay for us to send you our pitch when we're ready in in a few months time it's like oh cool yeah by all means send me it sounds really interesting let, let me know when you've got more you're starting to it's not hey i'm james i've got 250k pre-seed round um do you want to invest well hang on who's who's who, who are you and, and what is this and why should i care um so it's, it's kind of building that relationship with them and do it you can never start co contacting investors too early as long as you do it in the right way, as long as you do it through a lens of we've identified you as a potential. Should we have a chat or is it worth keeping in touch? Yeah. So that, that's kind that. of two principles, really. Yeah, some good points there. I love that. Some good value bombs. So um, I, I suppose because we're, we're coming towards the end of our conversation, I suppose my last question really is about preparation. Uh, where it comes to, so say, for example, we have some of our listeners that are um, presenting, so say inv angel investors or whatever it is, is there any type of preparation or do you give any advice to any of the clients that you work with in terms of like preparing, you know, who are actually in the room? You know, is there is there a checklist that you kind of like get people to work towards or is it, you know, you just pitch and, see what happens type of thing what, what's your thoughts on this do you mean the sorts of things you might want to cover when you're in your pitch it or... could be uh what you want to cover but it's kind of like more what i call prep or homework with regards to the individuals themselves uh, to kind of get an understanding of the psychological motivations of yeah. what they're looking for individually yeah so i think um yeah it sort of goes back to that target listing like these investors that hopefully they're in front of you because you've perhaps already reached out to them or maybe you've signed up to a pitch event and they could be anyone you you would want to do your research on them and look at their linkedin see what their interests are maybe if they've got twitter or whatever what do they post about what what are their interests search for them on crunchbase and hopefully they come up and then you can see what investments they've made and into what companies and you can see whether you're the right fit for that person or not and then you can know which in your who are most likely to ask questions. You probably get a sense of what questions they might ask as well, because they seem very technical driven. This, this founder comes, or this investor has more marketing and operational experience. So they're probably gonna to want to delve into the more of the operational side of the business. So you can get, paint a bit of a picture through the, those investors kind of CVs, if you like, as to what they're gonna be most motivated by and, and prepare yourself. But I think the biggest thing in terms of prep is, the, the preparation phase I, I talked about before the pitch, having the business plan and the forecast in place, because that gives you a really good get out of jail free card. Because most founders feel like when they're in that moment and the spotlight's on and they're being asked a question, they have to come up with something clever. They have to be able to answer that question. Otherwise, the investors are going to um, think that they're rubbish. Um the truth is you can't remember everything and you can't necessarily have all the detail to hand to answer the particular question of any individual investor. So if you've got that business plan um, and that financial projections and all of that stuff in, in place, you can say that's a really great, great question. The last thing I want to do is just make something up on the spot, give you the wrong detail. Um, what I'd much rather do, because I know that we've documented all of this in our business plan, what I'd much rather do is after this session, um, send you a link via email to that business plan. 
tell you exactly where you can find the information you're looking for. And then perhaps we can follow up with a with a short 15 minute one to one on that point after after this session. And, and what that's doing oh, yeah. is showing when the spotlight's on, when you're under pressure, you're cool, you're calm, you're collected. Most importantly, you're prepared for all eventualities that you that you're able to you've got all of this kind of behind you and in place and that you're you're credible um, because sometimes investors will ask really mean questions and difficult questions just to see how you react because they're kind of if you're going to take on a million pounds of their cash you're suddenly under a huge amount of pressure to deliver and they want to see how you perform under that pressure so they deliberately do a bit of a shit test they ask who you know, who's, <laughs> you know deliberately difficult question just to see how you respond um so having that preparation in place one make sure that you you're more likely to be able to answer their questions. And two, if you can't, it's the perfect get out of jail free card. Love it. I suppose um, the other thing that I was going to say to you just, be just before we kind of uh, wrap up today um, is, and you, we've seen this on, you know, whether it be Dragon's Den or Shark's Tank or even in live pitch presentations, is that you're, um, I was going to say to you, and, and just going back to doing the prep on individuals and what makes them tick and motivated, how do you, I suppose the best way that, how do you not alienate investors? Because some investors may feel like they're being alienated because they don't specialize in that particular field. And it's like, you know, well, if, if you've just created this pit for this individual, then I'm just walking out. Do you know what I mean? How, because what we want to do really is we really want, like you mentioned, is to engage with people. But we also don't want to alienate people. So how do we how do we find yeah. that fine balance, James? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult balance. Like eighty percent, roughly speaking, eighty percent of of angel investors would consider themselves sector agnostic. You know, they they yes. invest in any good business, good idea that they see has the potential. The reality is they probably have two or three areas that interest them most, um, but they would define themselves as sector agnostic. So that would mean that eighty percent of the people you're pitching to aren't a specialist in the sector in which you specialize. They may have an interest in it. They may have decided they want, they see potential in high growth B2B financial technology project, products. It doesn't mean they don't have the foggiest about the technologies that's, that go into them. So if you end up with an overly techie, um, buzzwordy kind of pitch, something that, that uses industry speak and industry buzzwords and technical terms, you're probably gonna alienate 80% of your audience and they're not going to understand. So. The, the trick is to that there's more power in simplicity and a lot of founders i don't know why maybe it's because they're not properly prepared and they haven't got all the materials in place or sitting behind the pitch but they try to overcomplicate the pitch in the hope that that makes their idea sound clever <laughs> and therefore more likely to invest and we want the opposite to be true you want the idea so obvious it asks the question of why hasn't anyone done this before you know you want it to be like this is so obvious this is so easy even though you know that it's, it's going to take millions of pounds to build the technology behind it, it appears so blindingly obvious to, to the audience that this should have been done already, and I can't believe it hasn't. So you need to try and simplify and dumb it down as much as possible um, so that you don't alienate that, that audience. You cut out all those industry buzzwords and industry speak um, because it's, it, yeah, it will, it will alienate 80% alienate of your audience straight away. We call it zombie step. It's the zombie stare when you pitch your idea and you just get that blank glazed over look where people are just like, what are they on about? I have no idea what this is or how it's going to help anyone do anything. Um, that's what you need to. 
All right, good. That's some good stuff there, guys. Listen, I hope that you have been enjoying mine and James's conversations. If you're listening to us through LinkedIn, even if you'd listen to the video later on, do me a favor. If you have any questions, feel free to put those questions in the chat box below. If you listen to us on the podcast and you love what we're talking about, uh, what I would in highly endorse you guys to do is to connect with James over on LinkedIn and on the well, LinkedIn is mainly where he hangs out, bit bit like me, really. We kind of hang out on the same platform. And also check out his book, by the way, his best-selling book over on Amazon, which is Investable. Um, it, remind me of the title again, uh, James. It's Investable Entrepreneur. Um, Investable Entrepreneur. Perfect. Perfect. So go go and check that out over on Amazon. And, uh, and, and there's a, a little giveaway as well in the description uh, notes as well for you guys that are listening in on the podcast as well. James, I just wanted to say thank you so much uh, for spending a bit of time with us today. You're very welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to be here. Awesome. Well, listen, guys, hope that you've enjoyed today's uh, and I hope that it's really giving you some uh, a, a bit of an eye opener and it's giving you some tips and some advice about how you can raise investment capital uh, and hopefully refine some of your processes and pitch presentations accordingly and stuff and uh, listen if you've enjoyed today's show please do me a favor leave a one or a five star review over on spotify or apple please don't leave me a one star review i'm hoping that we're worthy more than a one star review of course um but listen from me and james hope that you've enjoyed today's show and uh and uh, hopefully we'll see you again here on the next game changers experience take care and we'll see you soon cheers